right? So we have all these systems that we train our teachers to do. So even if the teacher maybe doesn't naturally have that, we we have it in place for them, exactly what to do at each step. But like I said, it starts in kindergarten. I mean, it starts with where do you park your pencil and what do you have out when we're working? You only have the tools out and then you put things away. And well, if you wanna get them out correctly next time, you have to put them in back in the right space. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm seated with three friends, Paul Schaefer and Tanya, you all know well, and most of you probably know Tara Luce as well, just she hasn't been on the podcast yet. So Tara, thanks for joining us. You're the head of the upper, lower school Correct. at the Highlands Island School Spring Meadow Campus. How long have you been at HLS? Um, I have been a parent, so my daughter graduated in 2020, so all that time, um, K to 12, and then I think I've been at uh, in the classroom or out of the classroom in this role for 12 years. Oh. 12 years. She's very old. Wow. Ouch, um. right, right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> so, Tara, what did you do before you were a teacher? I stayed at home with my kids. Um, I actually came to be a teacher because I was at the end of the year picnic. Um, mm-hmm. And Mrs. Tiemann walked up to me and said, have you ever thought about being a teacher? Yeah. And I laughed out loud and I said oh no and she said why don't you come and talk to me and I said okay so I showed up with no resume no anything just thought we were going to talk about how great teaching is (laughs) left with the job nice (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's kind of a common theme around here Mm -hmm, you know a very rigorous hiring process (laughs) of asking moms that's right I mean that's how I got there Paul just showed up as a former student one day Mm -hmm. there he was Mm -hmm. I think that had to have been the same year that you were hired because I'm in my 12th year as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applied with an actual resume <laughs> wow. and I was told, no, Thanks we don't need you. You were? I was. Yes. I didn't know that. And then a few weeks later, Mrs. Lowe emailed me because she'd been copied on the email. Like I got an initial response from the school that said no. And then Mrs. Lowe emailed me and said, actually, we do need you. Would you come in for an interview? Aww, oh, wow. Mrs. Lowe. Hey there. It's Shane. Just saying thank you for joining us on this episode of Classical Etc. If you like our conversations here on the show or any of our other videos on classical education, homeschooling, and great books of the Western world, then you're in the perfect spot. Liking, sharing, and subscribing to our channel makes sure that these conversations get to you every week. It's great to have you here. Now let's get back to the episode. So we want to take advantage of Tara's expertise and unpack a very difficult question, which is how do you transition students to more independence in school? But before we get there, Tara, I don't know if you knew this, but we have a time-honored tradition of talking about what we've read because that's all we really want to do. And then we talk about the content just as a matter of making the show. But Paul, let me ask you this. What have you been reading recently? I have been reading nothing uh, other than the book (laughs) of nature. But what I'm going to read, uh, I was very excited. My wife... This is was aspirational. At, this is aspirational. That's right. She was at Half Price Books, I don't know, selling some of our books, which I, I didn't even have the heart to ask what, what got given away. Mm. But she, for 71 cents, because she had the credit and she paid 71 cents, right. she got me another Graham, Graham Greene novel, The Tenth yes. Man. And I'm very excited about this. I've never heard of that. I hadn't either. And she was like, have you heard of this? And she actually, it was recommended by a friend that I got um, started on Graham Greene and then he saw Sarah and he mentioned, Hey, tell Paul, I've read this book. And then she went to the bookstore, saw it and grabbed it for me. 
but it's about a man in a concentration camp who gets sentenced to death, but then like offers uh, somehow brokers a deal where somebody takes his place and then he has to live the rest of his life living with that. Oh, wow. And so it sounds like a very interesting, but heavy book, but you know, it's Graham Greene. Like he's lots of moral quandaries. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to get me back good. on the reading train. Nice. I wonder if we should do that for our MP book group. Mm. It sounds good. Mm. Well, I'm. It I'm sounds gonna, like a good discussion book. Yes, I think it would be a very good discussion book. But I have yet to start page one. So um, I will let you know how that goes. Yeah. Well, I'm the opposite of Paul in that I've just been on a reading tear recently. I'm going to tell you guys you about it. You must not be as busy as Paul. <laughs> well, probably not. No. <laughs> So I've read five books, I think, or finished five books since the last time that we sat no down way. to do this. When was the last time we did this? Have you been working? Uh, a little What's bit. What's he doing Wait, at his desk? Did we? He hasn't been at his desk much. There you <laughs> He's go. Been at the warehouse, <laughs> <laughs> sitting in his car reading. <laughs> so okay, one of my favorite books in the world I reread recently, and that's the memoir of Eugene Peterson. If you guys ever heard of Eugene Peterson, I've heard of Eugene Peterson, but I've didn't know he had a memoir. It's a memoir. It's called Pastor. Very okay. good. We read it. And then a second book I read mm. is there's a professor at my church named Greg Allison who wrote a book called on the Holy Spirit called God, Gift, and God. And he gave it to He came to my house and he gave it to me. Oh. So I read it. It's really good. Uh, I read Eusebius' Church History. Oh, gosh. Really my goodness. You tore through that? It was, it's like 300 pages. Yeah. But it was really good. Here's, here's the illustration of why it's good. If you ever, if you like meet like friends of your parents when you're an adult and they tell you a story about your parents that you had never heard before. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it kind of casts your parents in a new light. That's how I felt hearing about like Philip the Apostle and all the stories from after the oh, New really? Testament era that, that I didn't know. It was very like, personal. It was just like, oh, these are characters I know from the Bible, but I didn't know. These like, things about yeah. them. So that, that was great. And then I read all the live little things by um, Wallace Stegner. I haven't read that. Yeah. Yeah. All the, All live, the little, live, live little things. Yeah, Is it good? It was great. I yeah. love Wallace Stegner. I do too. Um, we should read Wallace Stegner. I, I, He's this, very good. You all were talking about this in podcast the, uh, a few weeks ago, and I just like shut my mouth because I have no idea what you're talking about. All Wallace of? Stegner is the, he was the, I don't know if he was the chair, but he was the writing professor at Stanford that mm. Wendell Berry and Ken Kesey and... Um, Larry McMurtry um, were all a part of, oh, um, Ernest Gaines were all a I part of. I recognize two of those names, but keep going. <laughs> Ernest Gaines wrote the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Mm. Do you know that? Me. Okay. Well, he's I, this worth is, reading. This is why, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, when, when I started here, Martin made a comment that, which he's never lived up to, but he made a comment that he he tries not to read a book where the author hasn't been dead for 50 years. Mm. And, and I have found in my life that I actually living according to that rule, I'm very happy. And so, except for Wendell Berry, Wendell Berry is my one exception. Mm. Okay. The, well, Ernest Gaines should be an exception too. Mm. He okay. should be an exception. Well, I will need a list. Oh, didn't you all. read a lesson before dying? No. Oh, I think I bowed out on that one. Oh my goodness. Well, let's hope that you don't die soon. <laughs> so got you, some things to learn. <laughs> so you need to, you need to start reading. I, I hope you feel ashamed by my testimony right now. I do. I feel very Did, ashamed. So that was that four or was that five? So then the other one is I finished into your rights 
second volume, Jesus and the Victory of God. I've been My working goodness, on it for a long time. You've been reading a but lot I, of I have, heavy stuff. I have. It's been great. I've been okay. enjoying it. And then I, and right now I'm in the middle of Angle of Repose by Wall Street. Oh, I like Angle of Repose. It's a lot. It's a little longer. I can't remember it. It took me a little longer, but yeah. Yeah. And I started City of God. So those are the two books I'm oh reading right God. now. Guys, I've just been killing you it. You are making the rest of us look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I want to go first for me. next time. So <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm on a hot streak right now. It's like, I feel like I'm hitting every shot in basketball, you know? And so I just wanted to soak it up while I could. Wow. Okay. Well, Tony, what about you? What are you going to yeah, do? Well, I read a British murder mystery <laughs> um, by an author that I'd never read before called Ellie Griffiths. And her protagonist is an archaeologist in Norfolk, which is apparently very cold, <laughs> wet, and windy. And um, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I would read more of her books, but I read it because I heard it um, recommended on a podcast, mm. and, or I heard this series recommended, and I always have to start with the first book. So then I will read the next, I will read, the, I will continue reading just to see, do you know, do they get better? Because no. You really can't judge an author on their first book, sure. but it was interesting enough that I would read another one. But now I'm reading this book that I'm sure nobody's ever heard of called The Under- Undelivered Martel. And so Dave was reading it, my husband, and I said, what is this? It looks like a crazy book. And he said that Wendell Berry sent it to him <laughs> and wanted him to read it. And so does anybody know what a martel is? No. It's like a gossip, like a piece of gossip. That's like another word for it. But so this guy lives in, um, I can't even, oh, Leatheringham. I don't know where that is. So set in England. It is set in England and he's a priest and he was asked to deliver a martel. It's really like a community lecture series kind of thing. So he went because he'd never been to a, one of these events before. So he went and, and a woman talked about making the frontal piece for an altar and all that was involved in that and the story of it. So he knew then what it was. And his was supposed to be on this little church out on a farm. And then and he had a heart attack before he could deliver it. And so then, so he wrote down, this is his martel that he would have delivered. So I've only read 35 pages and it's, it's really, um, you know, is he's just talking about church life mm. in a, in a small country church mm. and building the actual, the actual building of the church way back centuries ago. And it's, it's really good. It's very interesting, but I just would never. I mean, would you ever pick up a book called The Undelivered Martel? Oh. I mean, you just have no idea what it means, what it is. I feel like nobody's ever heard of this before, and I'm not sure how Wendell got hold that of it. That cover looks like it's a recent book. I mean, it looks nicely It is. I mean, this out. is like 2006, the okay. guy had the heart attack. So, so this is. is so this was a true story, and this is mm-hmm. just this is just the lecture he had prepared. Yes. Oh wow! I thought, but, uh, okay. I, but it went bigger than this. So he asked if he could. He asked, I guess, the martel, the community, if he could just write it, mm-hmm. if they would mind if he just wrote it down. Mm-hmm. 
And then he mentions in here, which I, where did, I can't remember where it was, but he mentions Kenneth Clark. And I'm thinking, is that Kenneth Clark? Tell us, he says, ke- further tell us who east, Kenneth Clark is. Kenneth Clark is, oh no, he died. He lived past 60. I don't know. I'm thinking Kenneth Clark of the civilization, history of civilization videos that we had to watch in college. Mm-hmm. That, that are, you had to watch in college. That I had to watch in college, <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I, I vaguely remember those. Kenneth Clark. <laughs> <laughs> have you never watched them? No, never oh, they're really good. They are good. They're just, at the time, I wasn't impressed. But now, looking back, I think I should have paid better attention. Um, Martin loves Kenneth Clark. Mm. If Martin were here, he would be. Oh, you miss You miss Martin? <laughs> I miss him so much, but I've talked to him all weekend long. You know, he's in the Netherlands. His luggage got lost. Um, And so he had to deliver his first speech in his traveling clothes. He said from now on, he's going to travel with his toiletries in his speaking clothes (laughs) when he goes on an overseas trip. With most people, I would think when they say their luggage got lost, that means like it went to the wrong location. With Martin, it may have been he forgot what it looks like by the time he arrived there. It could be, but it truly did get lost. But once he got back to the airport to get it, so he had to drive all the way back Mm. to the airport. And I don't know how far that was, but it took two hours for the airport to find it. And then he had to be driven back to the castle where he's staying for this colloquium he's a part of. So he's had an exciting time. Wow. Now, Tara, what have you been reading recently? And j- I've I know almost never finish five books. Almost it's only happened sure. ten to twelve times oh, this year. Please. <laughs> oh, please, sure. Usually, he's reading the same book for a month. Well, That's I remember true. the motorcycle oh, yeah. maintenance one, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm holding on to that. Um, school just started, so mostly right. I've been reading syllabi, <laughs> rosters, and schedules. Um, but I am a couple of chapters into the River of Doubt by Candace oh. Millard. Um, it's the story of after Teddy Roosevelt loses his third bid as president, how he deals with loss and defeat is always to go out and punish himself in some way. And he goes to the Amazon. Yes, that's he, a fascinating story. It's great. It huh. starts off the very first chapter of the prologue is Teddy Roosevelt dying on the floor of the jungle. Um, he's starving. He's got a fever, 105 spoilers. He makes it out. Um, <laughs> he doesn't die till much later, like 1919. Um, and then the next chapter is him giving this rousing speech in Madison Square Garden that he will lose the election shortly after. And then he goes back to Oyster Bay and he's just devastated. Oh. So what he does is just go do the harshest thing he can think of to deal with his defeat. It is. It's so far so good. It's it's quite dark. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting though to see how it lightens yes. along his path, along that journey. You know, does that work to just punish yourself? Would do something totally different and then do you then find peace is he going to find peace in the mm. journey you can it's, let us know I'll, when you come back when you i can get let us no, know i will i will send you all an email because i won't ever come back <laughs> um but it does it, it even talks about how he had asthma as a child mm-hmm. devastating life-threatening mm. asthma but he just fought through it i mean mm. he just became mm-hmm. a boxer and his dad just pushed him and said you know your mind is great but your body is weak mm. and he decided never to be weak again so and then when he lost his first wife he went to the badlands so this is just how oh. he deals with right. darkness and depression it's can i just mm. say though she says she'll never come back it's be, it's not because she doesn't like us it's because she just does has this terrible stage fright that she mm. struggles with but we are she likes us a lot i do mm-hmm. 
I think I'm friends with everybody on the podcast. Like Mitchell, I think we're closer friends than we are because I watch the podcast every <laughs> Monday. And then I, I want to go talk to him about the stuff I heard. And he, <laughs> we're best friends and we're probably not. Um, I mean, so Mitch I like use a couple of best friends. Okay. So I think you okay. be open I'll to sign that. up. I'll sign yeah. up. <laughs> so let's transition to our topic. So Tara, help us to understand there is this large transition that occurs when students move from middle school to, to upper school. What age are the students and what is the main challenge that, you know, as you guys talk about this topic, you're like, oh, that is a tough thing for students to, to go through, for schools to navigate. Help us to understand the problem, the conundrum for someone who maybe doesn't have the kind of experience you have leading a school. Well, there are a couple of good transitions. There's that primary to grammar school transition. So we're always working to prepare students because grades are no longer subjective. They're not pluses and minuses. They have to study for real tests. They have comprehensive finals. Um, organization. All that stuff is stuff in the grammar school that's not in primary. Yes. So and that's what's, our. What's the age? That grade? is second to third grade. So then we go on to sixth grade, moving into seventh grade in the upper school. Um, and I think that transition is all of those other things. You know, more responsibility, more falls on the student um, to be prepared with. But also what you get going from sixth grade to seventh grade is you're leaving a self-contained classroom where one teacher, you are responsible to one teacher mm. for eight hours a day. And that teacher is responsible to you. So they get to know you. Um, they have the opportunity if something, if you're not organized in Latin in the morning, they give you another chance at math to get your things out and to get ready. And that's not what you're going to see when you go to seventh grade because you have six or seven teachers that are going to come in and out. And they're great. I mean, they're, they're, they have high expectations, but they may not all have the same expectations. Homework may be different on how you turn it in. Or what do you do if you don't have something prepared? So I think we have to work really hard um, to look ahead and know what they're going to be asked to do in upper school. It's kind of like Mrs. Lowe's curriculum where she starts at 12th and walks back. We have to start with 12th and our, what we want our students to do and walk it back. So what's important in sixth grade that they know? Okay, so to be able to do those things, what do they have to be ready to do in fifth? Mm. And it goes all the way back to kindergarten. I mean, we start the transition in kindergarten. Mm. Well, Tanya, as you think about this transition, are there any other difficulties that you can think of that students have moving from specifically sixth to seventh grade? I think the biggest trend, the biggest transition problem is second to third, mm. actually. Um, that we've seen in our market of not our school necessarily, because I think we got it kind of figured out mm -hmm. um, with all the, all the experience that we've had. But I think that students in and teachers in other schools who maybe haven't used our curriculum very long and homeschoolers that that jump from second to third seems huge mm -hmm. with more subjects and, um, Actual grading, which Tara mentioned, which is new test taking tests in right. every subject is new. That to me is the biggest jump. But from sixth to seventh, then is another big jump because not only do they have a new teacher every time, but they also have to be responsible within that 70 minute class period. They've got to get their homework written down. Whereas if you're in a self contained classroom in the sixth grade, You've got all day to get your homework written down. But here, it that teacher's going away and another teacher's coming in. So that's a big transition. And 
the way that we teach, the way that these teachers teach is big. When they've been, and not all grammar schools have self-contained classrooms like we do. It was really important to Cheryl that the students have one teacher. So the only time our students have more have a different teacher all the way through sixth grade is um, Latin, possibly. And um, I mean, PE music, and music and art. and art. But other than that, it is that one teacher. So to get used to all those different teachers. And I think the struggle for my children when they made that transition was recognizing that different teachers have different need, different requests of them. Some teachers want very concise answers and other teachers want fluffy answers <laughs> that with lots of words and good complex sentences and things like that, I think are, and some teachers are going to really prepare you for a test by handholding more than others who are just going to say, study your notes. Here's your test. And getting used to all of that is a real adjustment. So, Paul, these first few weeks of school for seventh grade, let me ask you this. Who is it more difficult for? The students, the teachers, or the administrators? Those first four <laughs> weeks of, of seventh grade. Um, I, I don't want to answer that uh, because it's all of the above, right? I mean, everybody, everybody struggles. And, you know, I, I just think back, you know, time was reminding me before the podcast of the first year that I taught at Highlands, I was teaching seventh and eighth grade and I had no idea that we had intentional, um, you know, stair stepping when it came to responsibility and what would be expected. Right. But I did, I mean, I, I was at least cognizant enough to know that these kids were coming from a self-contained classroom to, um, to one that wasn't. And, I, it was also very clear that the the way the school was structured was seventh grade was you were in upper school. And so given that I was like, if you're in upper school, then therefore you need to start taking responsibility. And I've, you know, and, and I honestly didn't know what they had been required of, of in sixth grade, but you could very clearly see that habits were still being enforced at the end of sixth grade. And so they come into seventh grade and they want to know exactly what is the right answer? They're expecting their notebooks to be checked. They're expecting mm -hmm. all of this stuff, right? Um, and but at the same time, we we didn't have good locker systems, and so <laughs> like the 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 door of the cabinets were always just like open and stuff spilling out. And so you know it was it was trying to help kids go look like you need to have your. I know you have probably too little space to have all your books, but you need to make sure that's orderly. And then it was okay. Now you need to. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you every day to pull out your agenda and write down your homework, but I am going to make very clear what your homework is. So then helping them through that. But I started both the seventh graders and the eighth graders just with a year with a with a whole talk about you, you are responsible now. And I, I can't I'm not going to hold your hand. I am going to do notebook checks, but it's going to be a lot less frequent than what you had because I can't fully let that scaffolding drop from right. one year to the next. Um, and, but so, so you've got like all of those practical things, but then you also have sort of the, the kind of engagement with the material you're looking for. So your upper school teachers are naturally, especially in the humanities are going to be looking for more, um, for deeper responses than purely comprehension questions. And those kids coming out of fifth, sixth grade, they're, they're very used to, I, you know, even though the teachers have been trying to prime them for this, 
they still think that they can get hundreds if they just say what the right answer is. And, you know, and so there's an, there was an intentional, there's an intentional part in seventh and eighth grade, especially in the humanities to start saying, well, why show me that, you know, or, or what are you pulling that from? Or if we're going to assert this, where are we, why are we asserting this? And, and for the students to start thinking more deeply and you, I mean, I, in that year, I just start seeing light bulbs go off and, you know, and every kid kind of hits at a different time. You know, it's, but that's because we've prepared them so well oh, in primary and grammar school to be to actually be ready for that. But yeah. then, but we have to ask that of them. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have the habits of of exactly knowing what the right answer was, like comp- basic comprehension, mm-hmm. there's no way we ever I, we ever could have got those light bulbs to turn on. That's right. Of now, yeah. what of it? We have know? prepped them, but then the teacher, the middle school teacher, has to then be ready to move them toward that next next step. Because they're not going to go willingly. <laughs> so that's what I want to unpack is how we actually transition them. So maybe we start with what you're saying to teachers. Tara, how do you coach teachers? I imagine some teachers are less cognizant of this responsibility than others. So how do you encourage them to grow in their ability to help students be more independent? I think we have a system in place that it, it so even highlighting, you know, in third grade, we're going to highlight everything for them. Fourth grade, we're not going to highlight in literature. You mean the things that are going to be on the test, the things they need to know in the study guide. Yes, so they're actual tests. So then fifth grade, less. Sixth grade, no highlighting. Things like homework. They start writing down their homework in first grade in an agenda. In first grade, it's a composition notebook. But they get the regular agenda in second grade. So then they're responsible for that. So first through fifth grade, they're going to just look up at the wall and all their homework's going to be written there. And they give, they're given a time. Get out your agenda. Go ahead and write your homework. Well, in sixth grade, because seventh grade teachers are going to do homework in a different way, we ask our sixth grade teachers to write their homework after each lesson, mimicking what they're going to see in seventh grade. So we have all these systems that we train our teachers to do. So even if the teacher maybe doesn't naturally have that, we we have it in place for them, exactly what to do at each step. But like I said, it starts in kindergarten. I mean, it starts with where do you park your pencil and what do you have out <laughs> when we're working? You only have the tools out and then you put things away. And well, and if you want to get them out correctly next time, you have to put them in back in the right space. So I think it's it's just in our expectation and routines from kindergarten on. But we do give those systems to teachers so that we can see where those students are heading and they are prepared. And we feel really responsible about, I mean, we feel really um, not responsible. A word. What are you talking about? I, I'm going to, we feel um, that we are, we are responsible to the next group of teachers oh, that they can hold yes. us accountable. Responsible is the word. Yes. yes. Um, that they need to be able to look back and see all that we've done. And be able to use that for their good in upper school. But we also feel like upper school is responsible to us. Mm-hmm. Sure. All that training and time we've put in pencil grip and legible cursive, that that has to be, you know, withheld or held up all the way through upper Manners. school. Manners, lunchroom etiquette, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. So I think it does take communication between lower school and upper school yeah. as well. This kind of reminds me of when I played football. 400 oh, years gosh. ago. Gosh, he loves these sports analogies. And I played on defense, and we would always be so mad when the offense was turning the ball over every. You know, we we're like, you have a responsibility to us to score some points so that we can win this game. 
There it is. Great right. illustration. And did they have a responsibility to you yeah, to they, defend them? Yeah, we we were supposed to <laughs> no. prevent there from being points uh, on the right. board. Yeah. You weren't yeah. actually defending the offense. Right. right. <laughs> That'd be a lot of players on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have a book one point that explains yes, football? Yes, I do. I guess I need to reread it. <laughs> she does. So, Tony, what what other things have um, you tried to implement as your coaching teacher specifically towards this transition? One of the big things is for the teachers to recognize that, yes, the students have been trained. It just kills me when like a high school teacher says, well, uh, I can't believe the grammar school hasn't taught perimeter and area. Well, of course, we've taught (laughs) perimeter and area, but you can't listen to those children when they tell you they've never seen something before. Just to be cognizant of the fact that, yes, if you let them revert, they will revert. Mm -hmm. And so the teachers really have to understand that they are in charge and that all, that they are all working together and that they are responsible to each other. So the sixth grade teacher is responsible to the seventh grade teacher, but also the sixth grade teacher needs to respect what the fifth grade teacher has done. And if you get one year that's one teacher that's not on board, it can destroy the whole mm-hmm. thing. It can go down those students will let it go downhill so fast say if you don't require hand holding they will all be talking at the same time hand holding hand raising hand raise oh. <laughs> you, had a, you were a different kind of teacher than you have nowadays <laughs> it's like we're requiring hand holding in classes now it's new it's new it's kinder gentler. okay thank you for straightening that out hand raising, raising. <laughs> <laughs> raising one's hand. Okay, just move on. Yeah, we'll move. But, but I will say, I mean, I'm teaching 11th grade this year, and it is so nice to walk in those classrooms with those expectations already in place, right? Hmm. I, I don't have to enforce hand raising because those kids have done it for 10 years. Um, now, I mean, if they start getting but online, if I'm you, going to. But, but if you... I could undermine it. You I could, could absolutely undermine, undermine it. <laughs> That's right. But... Um, but there's there's so many habits those children have that have been once they hit seventh and eighth grade, and those are some rocky years, right? Making yes. those habits their own, right? They've had those habits, but they've always been supported. All of a sudden, seventh and eighth grade, okay, now those habits have to become their own. And then they get through ninth and tenth grade. By the time they hit eleventh and twelfth, like those those habits are solid. Like they've made it their own. We're not, you know, and so we really can do some really great, like have some great discussions, have some great learning done. Because there's no distraction in the mm-hmm. classroom. It really is adult learning by that point, like because we, they've That's been right. so well trained and, and everything else. But let me ask you a question. Okay. Because you've taught in the cottage school. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about the full-time school and it's much easier right. there because we have total control of the students. But what are the... What are the challenges in the cottage school if students are only going to school one day a week or two days a week? Mm-hmm. I think that's a whole different mm-hmm. set of challenges mm-hmm. to it's, reinforce. And and how do you get parents to reinforce what you're trying to do at home? It, it is a totally different set of challenges, but it's the same principle. It is. It's right. just applying it. You know what? I, the, the challenge was not every one of my students was really writing legible cursive. Not mm-hmm. every one of the students was... Um, had good habits of putting their homework in into the agenda. And so I think it took, it takes a second level of an extra level of communication with parents ultimately to be successful in any kind of hybrid 
program. And I found that with those students, what I needed to be doing was not just saying to the particular student who didn't have a habit of putting things in their agenda, you need to put this in their agenda, but also saying to mom and dad, this is what I told him to put in his agenda. Right. Will you make sure that that, ha- that happened? Um, and I think that's, that's the tweak that I would say in a hybrid school format is looping parents into that process of helping students to become more independent Mm -hmm. because those parents, I mean, they want those habits. Yes. And if they don't know what's going on, but it's, it's, as you were pointing out, it's nearly impossible to get those habits formed in a one or two day setting because you need that additional support. Right. And so as long as they know, it's gotta be a true partnership. Mm -hmm. So Tara, let's just imagine you got a chance to talk to all the seventh grade teachers and tell them, what they needed to know to take care of your sixth graders that you have brought from kindergarten to sixth grade. I imagine some seventh grade teachers are don't understand how, how hard of a transition this is and others are way too, too loose on the students. What would be your challenge to the teacher's encouragement? What do you think that it's a really successful seventh grade teacher is going to do? I have had this opportunity just this summer to talk to all the <laughs> upper school teachers. Um, I really think it's just transparency and telling them what we are doing, what we are requiring every time. And that is organization. I think that's a big part. Student behavior, going through, you know, how to be a good student in the classroom, just civility, manners, responsibility, respect, those things. And then those study skills, too, that we've been building all along. Um, one of the things that's kind of a big change is in third grade when they tell them, okay, we have a test every night on the homework board, it will say study for your astronomy test. But by the time they get to fifth grade, you just know there's a bird's test and they're not going to tell you every night. So students have to be responsible. So I think just honestly telling the seventh grade teachers what these students are trained to do. Um, And actually somebody from Memorial Press asked me for a list this week. Did you know I, that? I, I told them to ask you. Yes. Ask me for a list of responsibilities by grade. I don't have that for oh. him, um, but I'm I can sorry. make it. And I no, I it was kind of exciting. I thought we don't have that anywhere. So you really do need somebody to communicate those things to you. Mm. And if a seventh grade teacher is brand new and they don't know what to come in and expect, just telling them what we've always done is I think the key. So you're talking about transparency from kind of the administration side to the teachers in, in seventh of grade? Everything we are asking. I mean, this is, and I, and I, everything the students have done. Yes. And we do that with <coughs> curriculum. You know, we will talk them through, okay, this is what they've done. Um, but I just think having the teachers know where those students are coming from and what we've spent our time and attention on, they may not know, but we can tell them, you may not understand why blurting isn't an issue right away, but we're going to tell you, we don't let them do that. Um, so I just think being very clear with all that we've done is what is a help to those upper school teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, what really helped me in that first year was I was in a spot where I was actually asked to go and watch all of the lower school classes and upper school. And so when I had time, I would just go hop in a classroom and I was able, and I spent a lot of time actually in sixth grade. And so I was able to see what those students were capable of. So I knew what my seventh graders should be capable of. In an ideal world, Mm -hmm. all teachers would have that opportunity Mm -hmm. to go visit the grade before and the grade after and see where they fit into that sandwich. But that's an ideal world. You'd have to have a lot of subs. (laughs) I would encourage a school to 
you know, to have their teachers go <laughs> and sit in, what would you be telling those teachers to look for? Because I think sometimes observations get wasted because the, the teacher themselves doesn't know what they're looking for or aren't motivated to look mm-hmm. for it. So what, what would you tell them to be looking for? We actually give a, a list mm-hmm. when we have teachers. Um, so, you know, if we have a teacher that needs to go watch another teacher, this has happened to us before, we'll send them to that other grade and say, go watch, see what they're doing in the grade before you so you know how to behave with your students. The teacher will come back and go, that person has a really easy class and they're a great teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So then we made a form that says, go in and watch them. How have they planned? How is their board prepped? What are the key words they're using to get attention? Um, What does their transition look like? So just giving them really specific things to look for. um, And then having taking the time with them once they come out of that room to sit down and make sure they saw what you wanted them to see because it is really to go to go into mrs colburn's kindergarten class and go that was a great show she's amazing but you didn't see all the things that she had done in order to get that mm-hmm. so i think you send them in with what you want them to see um and then you spend time afterwards you know checking what they what they wrote down one area we haven't unpacked much of that I think is maybe the last area that is what are we saying to parents throughout this transition what does the communication look like and how do parents respond to this transition from independence to or dependence to independence I think it's a little bit of legend now the change from second to third and sixth to seventh like it's it's people know families talk they know Um, but we do have a parent orientation at each of those transitions and they come in and they sit with those teachers. So actually this Thursday night, third grade orientation, we give them a little bit of time in class. And then we have all the parents come in and the teacher walks them through the day. And they say, this is what this looks like. These are the abbreviations for the homework board. This is what I'm expecting when I, you know, when I tell you I want your child to write a little neater. They go through everything. Parents have the opportunity to ask questions, but it really kind of brings them in. And we'll do that with rising upper school students too, to just let them know what to expect. And we, what we really want to tell them is, you're not at the finish line. You know, if you're a rising seventh grade parent, you're not done. Like you don't go hands off. <laughs> They're in upper school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you guys have trained them well. We appreciate that. And then we're just going to let them be. We're going to check their think wave every once in a while. And we hope it goes well for you. We just tell them it's not time. I don't know that it's ever time mm-hmm. um, to fully back out and just be like, okay, we'll see what happens. Um, but we we try to tell them that there's a balance You know, you do have to let your students be responsible for themselves in a lot of ways and communicate with their teachers. Um, But it's not a time for the for the families to back out and go, wish you well. See you at the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else that you you two would be saying to parents about this transition? I don't know if anything in particular comes to mind other than I've I've walked alongside parents that have because they didn't see it coming or, or their, their oldest child particularly struggled. They, they were willing to, to quit the whole thing because they, that transition was too hard um, because they, they didn't, you know, there was, I think they were sort of of that mind that they hit seventh grade and, and mom and dad don't have to be involved anymore. And that's when I was like, no, 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 no. Like the support you're giving them is important because the, the you're helping them, make those habits their own. The teachers are helping them. It's, this is, this is a natural Rocky moment. Um, and you know, they pushed through and you know, uh, it, it was phenomenal, you know, for that child, but it, yeah. it, 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 if you don't see it coming, it, it can be, it can be a really, really rough couple of years. Well, I have one more question. 
Uh, Tara, what are you doing next week at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. on Monday? I'm pretty busy. Because I think we're, we're going to vote Martin off the island. You're, you're, you're in. <laughs> I'm going to make sure Martin gets his luggage and gets back to town, this chair. <laughs> Tara will fly over I to will. the Netherlands to go I get will. that luggage. I will. Can, whatever. can we insert one more thing in here? Sure. Um, I feel like this is also important in the homeschool world mm. to transition your students. I think that it should also be a deliberate thought about what does your primary school look like at home? What does your grammar school look like at home? And where are you headed Mm -hmm. for high school? Especially if they're using the online academy, they are going to be more independent. But I do think the rules don't really change. Um, And I think it's easy, having done it, in high school to really let your, or even middle school, if you're, you know, to let your children just go do their homework on the trampoline or some, I just think it's, I made some mistakes there that I, I think it would have been better if I'd kept a more formal school at home eat all the way through. Yeah. It seems like the challenge in homeschooling would be the opposite of the school environment in that the students tend to be more independent sooner, at least in terms of their schoolwork. Which is great. I think that's great that they are, that they do get more independent. And that's why homeschool students make such good college students because they do know how to self-start and how to study. And, you know, there's one teacher for multiple age students. It is totally different, but I do think some sense of order and rules, actual rules, which would be different than classroom rules, but still some rules are are really important because this is not just about getting the schoolwork done, but it is character building and learning how to be students. So I just wanted to throw that yeah. in. Well, and Paul, do you think with the online academy that it you encounter that with your teachers? I mean, starting classes in third grade, are those quantitative? qualitatively different than your high school classes? They, they are. They are. I mean, the teachers are um, much more uh, intentional about giving very step-by-step processes in those third, fourth, fifth grades. But, you know, we, we uh, because we're also not present, right? So like the online academy has a further disadvantage from the cottage school because while we're only, we're teaching about the same amount of time in class, but we're not mm-hmm. physically present in front of those mm-hmm. children. We can actually see what they're like, even if we have a camera on and we can't actually see what they're doing during class, which we don't have cameras on most of the time. But even if we did, we we wouldn't be able to tell because the camera's looking at them, not at their screen, not at what, what their hands are doing. And so uh, we, we will tell parents, you know, that early on, they, you know, especially when that child's getting used to the online academy, that parent's going to have to be right there alongside them, being mm-hmm. that physical presence, helping them. And, and once they've got those habits established, then the parent needs to needs to follow up. But you know, I've I've talked to parents that have called us. Well, my my child's in high school. I want to enroll in as well. How how is your child with you know making sure they get their work done? How are they being a self starter? Because this isn't you can't think about this like you're farming this out completely. But this is an aid. And so if 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 you know you just need to know that as a parent, like you're going to have to make sure your child gets on there at the right time. If they're not that kind of child. Um, if they don't have those habits instilled. So the, the classes are very different, but as administratively, we, we try to make sure we talk parents through that because um, some parents come to us in August, they want to enroll, we're happy to let them enroll, but we also try to warn them and say, if you're coming to us from a situation that's not working out and you're making this decision 
a couple of weeks before school starts and you're going to enroll in seven classes, this is not, don't think about this like a brick and mortar school. It's not that way. And to try to help them at least ease into it. So oftentimes we'll recommend do one or two classes this year, next year, come in Mm -hmm. full on because you need that time to, to phase into it. And to learn to be a teacher to your children. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. This has been a great discussion. Thank you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.